What's up, guys? It's the phenomenal AJ Styles. You're listening to the two-man power trip. Oh, my God. This is Joey Styles, and you're listening to the two-man power trip podcast. This is Ricky the Dragon Steamboat. This is Cody Rhodes, the prince of pro wrestling, and you are listening to two-man power trip. This is Jimmy Vine, the boogie Wooker man. Tell my people my brothers and sisters, don't you dare miss John and Chad. Hey, everybody out there. This is the franchise Shane Douglas. Remember me? <laughs> well, guys, it's great to be on the show again i appreciate you asking me back so you said you were going to pinch yourself i didn't know it was that kind of show now i mean if you guys are in the privacy of your own home if you want to do these things good how you doing chad hey johnny cool man what's going on we're ready to go or what uh, okay. hey man what's up guys this is homicide oh that's my homie homicide with a big homie club yeah that would be it hey this is david penzer and this is the two-man power trip of wrestling well, thank you, thank you. Hear me, fear me. I don't do many wrestling shows anymore, probably because I'm a bit ignorant. You guys probably know ten times more than I do. Look, Mean Gene, I can't be beat. I'm the greatest of all time. And I would say that. And every kid, I, they knew they could kick the out of me. Great talking to you guys. It's been your pleasure. <laughs> They've worked in and around the wrestling business. They've studied thousands of hours of wrestling. And now... They bring to you the greatest legends, Hall of Famers, creative minds, and both current and future stars of pro wrestling. They are Primetime Pod and Chad, the two-man power trip of wrestling. Wrestling brought to you today and powered by our good friends over at the Mid Atlantic Gateway. Head on over to midatlanticgateway.com and check out the brand new Four Horsemen, a timeline history book by our good friend Dick Bourne that chronicles the history of the most famous and influential 
factions in the history of professional wrestling. And that is only over at midatlanticgateway.com, a four horsemen timeline history by our good friend Dick Bourne. It's on sale officially on Monday, June 5th, and you can find that over at midatlanticgateway.com. And with all that being said, if you didn't know by now, my name is Chad, and as always, I'm joined by my tag team partner, the one and only John Paz. And John, at the top of the show, I usually give you a little bit of a rundown as to where you can hear our podcast, and of course, that's on iTunes and TuneIn Radio and Player FM and Podomatic and all the other podcast aggregators that just bunch all the podcasts together. But I also want to mention, and we're going to be pushing this heavily, that you can head on over to the IRW Network. And coming this weekend, you're going to get to hear an exclusive preview of our brand new show, the Triple Threat Podcast, featuring the franchise Shane Douglas. But you can only hear it over at IRW Network. So sign up to IRWnetwork.com today. You get to hear the brand new podcast by the two-man power trip of wrestling in the franchise, Shane Douglas, that is, of course, dubbed the Triple Threat Podcast. But that's enough about what's going on in the two-man power trip of wrestling podcast world. We want to bring the emphasis back to the former WWE World Heavyweight Champion, a former ECW Champion, a former United States Champion, as the All-American American Jack Swagger joins the program. And this is one that I can honestly say was literally stoked to get this one recorded. This was a guy who parted ways with the WWE not too long ago. And it was definitely a head-scratcher because he basically asked for his release and they didn't want to let him go and he let his contract expire. And it was kind of a convoluted story. And Jack's going to give you the rundown as to what happened. But... When you think about Jack Swagger, you just think about kind of a missed opportunity because he was given such a big push when he was brought up to the main ECW roster in the beginning, excuse me, the end of 2009, 2010 era. And he definitely was start and stop many, many times, but of course battled his way back and main evented WrestleMania 29 for the World Heavyweight Championship with Alberto Del Rio. And again, missed opportunity as his We the People and the Real American gimmick that he had going with Dirty Dutch Mantel, a.k.a. Zeb Coulter, as well as Cesaro, who would be added to the mix, became one of the most over acts in the WWE that really, in, in years, to the level that they got, that you could go to a show and the We the People chant was just as loud as it would be for your champion or for your top babyface. And it was definitely something that was a head-scratcher when they just pulled the plug on the We The People. And Jack will give you the rundown as to what they did to just cut the legs out from the entire gimmick and the entire persona. But, John, as I get to welcome you in here, there's so much to talk about with Jack Swagger. And a lot of this interview focuses on that latter half of his WWE run because, not to take anything away from winning the World Heavyweight Championship, but that latter half of the run was really the most interesting part because, like I said, you had the We The People, you had the babyface turn, you had the pairing with Zeb, you had all the crazy stuff going on in the back where the brand extension came about and the guys were asking for releases and there was a real emphasis on life outside the WWE that now Jack is really getting to explore as he kind of, you know, starts to just kind of dip into the pool a little bit to see 
what is out there post WWE life. But John, why don't you get in here now and talk about this interview with Jack Swagger, as well as kind of point out some of the highlights and some of the stories that we have to look forward to. And what really was a surprising interview with the all American American, the real American Jack Swagger. Yes, Chad, two man power trip has done it again. This time, the former world heavyweight champion himself, Jack Swagger. You don't know Jack? Well, now you do, because the two-man power trip is on the case. This was an awesome interview. A lot of info, a lot of good stuff, a lot of opening up, a lot of truth being laid down. Awesome stuff from Jack Swagger. Really cool. Going into it, you know, you know he's a nice guy. You know he's a super professional guy. You know, you kind of know what you're going to get. But I didn't know how open he was. And he really opened up to us and he told us some great stories. Obviously, the WWE departure is, um, excuse me there for a second, um, one of the top stories. Obviously, that's a, a big big topic of discussion in this interview but of course you know it's, it's heavy on a lot of people's minds why did he want to be released why did he want to leave what's he unhappy and we go into a great detail about that obviously he was underused underutilized and it's weird with the WWE sometimes it's like wow this guy is really you know getting over or this guy is a great wrestler this guy is a great worker this guy has really worked and you know became something whether you put him with uh, Zeb or Cesaro or not I mean it was just something was clicking there and something was working and it was working with the fans as well and it's just one of those things with WWE if they don't want to push you they're not going to push you it's it's really strange and, and weird and a weird business but I guess that's just the way it goes sometimes because the real Americans are one of the most over teams and obviously Chad we were at a show and they were more over than The Undertaker. They were more over than Lesnar. I mean, this was a couple of years ago, obviously. But it was crazy how over they were and the We the People stuff. It was just crazy to think, wow, you know, WB can't deny that. They're going to give him a push. And then they don't. So it's weird, weird stuff. I love getting into it with Jack when we're talking about Zeb Coulter, a.k.a. Dirty Dutch Mantel. Awesome stuff there. I mean... You go into the mind of Dirty Dutch, and we hear some great stories. Jack tells us some great advice that Dirty Dutch gave to him, some great road stories, some great uh, stories about uh, his driving or lack thereof. So very funny stuff. You learn a lot of stuff from Zeb, but this interview was great because, you know, you kind of um, pull away the curtain and you talk about a lot of the backstage goings on. You talk about, you know, pushes, deep pushes. Stuff like that. So this was absolutely a tremendous interview. I really, really enjoyed it. He was so open and honest with us. We, we really appreciated that. Sometimes in interviews, the guy, you could tell they're guarded or you could tell they don't want to give up too much or, you know, they don't want to um, basically get in any sort of trouble or they don't want to say too many things. But Jack, no. I mean, any question we asked, he answered and he gave us a great answer. And this is a great interview, over an hour. So it's, you got a lot of stuff in there. You go through his basically his whole career from Deep South to OVW to FCW to ECW to WWE and now to the independent scene. So it's great to kind of uh, get an all-encompassing interview from Jack. We kind of thought it was going to be short, you know, short and sweet, and boom, we just had a great connection with him with a great vibe, and we just kept rolling, and he just kept rolling with the great answers. So 
you know, sit back, relax. You're going to enjoy this one, whether we're talking Dirty Dutch, Cesaro, Vince McMahon, his WWE departure, any of the developmental stuff. We go deep and we get some great stuff. Obviously, we'll hit some topical stuff as well, like Jinder Mahal and Randy Orton, both guys who he knows very, very, very well. We'll talk a little Danny Hodge. We'll go a little Jim Ross. We touch all bases on this one, so relax. Like I said, sit back, relax, enjoy the all-American American, the real American, Jack Swagger. Absolutely, and we want to thank Jack Swagger for taking the time to really go as deep as he did into his career and really just kind of floored me with the time that he gave us. And he's just a really funny guy and a genuinely nice guy. And we had an absolute blast recording this interview. And we hope that Jack Swagger has nothing but great stuff coming down the pike for him. And uh, I'm sure that with that post WWE run that these guys get, it's always something pretty magical because the response they get from the crowds and the real fans that want to see them is, uh, is pretty amazing. And we wish nothing but the best for Jack Swagger and everything that he's got coming forward. And I mentioned a couple of the cool things going on earlier in the show with the new Shane Douglas podcast, which again, head on over to IRWnetwork.com and subscribe to hear the exclusive preview of the Shane Douglas and two-man power trip triple threat podcast that is coming your way in the coming weeks. It is going to be an awesome, and I mean this, and I'm going to stress this, an absolutely awesome look into the life and career of the franchise Shane Douglas where we're not going to pull any punches and we're going to cover literally everything from current events to everything in ECW and all the crazy stops he's had in between and it's definitely something that Shane, John and myself are all really excited to start getting out to the audience so head on over to IRWnetwork.com for that but also we want to announce if you're in the New Kent, Virginia area on Saturday, July 15th we're teaming up with Classic Pro Wrestling to bring to you a very rare opportunity to sit down and have a very intimate Q&A session with Hands of Stone, Rugged Ronnie Garvin, a former guest of ours, a guest that generated a lot of heat with some of the stuff that he said and talking about the lifestyle of Ric Flair and not really agreeing with that flashiness that Ric Flair embodied all throughout the 1980s and into his later years. And Ronnie Garvin is definitely a, uh, a very buzzworthy guy with some of the things he says because he's another one who pulls no punches. But we will be sitting down with Ronnie Garvin and the fine fans at Classic Pro Wrestling on July 15th in New Kent, Virginia. And you can head on over to Facebook.com slash TMPT of Wrestling for more information on that. So if you're in that Southern Virginia area, if you want to head up to that Richmond, uh, New Kent, Virginia part of the state get over there and check us out with ronnie garvin and the great folks at classic pro wrestling so john with all that being said please do me a favor and hit him with a little bit of two-man power trip of wrestling business and get it on over to jack swagger now for some tmpt business like us on facebook follow us on twitter at two-man power trip and at wrestling pal Please subscribe to us on YouTube. Also, subscribe to us on iTunes. Please leave us a review. We'd love to hear your feedback. Also, while on iTunes, check out the feed for prior legendary episodes featuring the living legend Bruno Sammartino, the late great American Dream Dusty Rose, the Enforcer Arn Anderson, Ray Mysterio Jr., Glenn Kane Jacobs, the phenomenal AJ Styles, lead WWE attorney Jerry McDivitt, 
and so many others. Also, while you're on the internet, check out ProWrestlingTees.com. Yes, that is ProWrestlingTees.com. They are your superstore for all your wrestling t-shirt needs. Check out our page. Check out Tito Santana, Coco Beware, Kevin Thorne, Buff Bagwell, Magnum TA, and so many others. Also, while you're on the web, check out our website, tmptofwrestling.com. And if you're on Android, please check us out on Google Play or Player FM. Follow along with the two-man power trip of wrestling in 2017 as we hit the road and we come to a town near you. Monroe, New Jersey on June 10th. Keyport, New Jersey on June 10th. Then we head on down to New Kent, Virginia on July 15th for the Crockett Cup. Then follow us down to Philadelphia where we hit the Icons Collectors Fest at the 2300 Arena. So please follow along with the two-man power trip of wrestling in 2017 because you never know where we may land. And now, without any further ado, a former WWE United States Champion, a former ECW World Heavyweight Champion, and of course a former WWE World Heavyweight Champion, he's a real American, he's an all-American American, he is Jack Swagger, please enjoy. heavyweight champion. He's a former United States champion. You may remember him as an All-American American, but at this time I'd like for everybody to please stand up, put their hand over their heart, and say in unison with us, welcome to the two-man power chip of wrestling, Jack Swagger. Thank you for joining us tonight. <laughs> ah, I see what you did there. He's witty. This guy's witty, John. Thank you guys for having me. Oh, it's our pleasure. We couldn't be any happier to have you on, and uh, you're definitely uh, you're definitely on the minds of many a wrestling fans who have been uh, dying for Jack Swagger to uh, step out, get the spotlight he deserves, and kind of venture off on his own. But uh, I got to tell you, we just uh, we couldn't be any happier to be uh, having you on here. And I guess the first question would be, how has everything been going since you departed WWE? Well, it's a very it's a very exciting time, that's for sure. Uh, silver linings are everywhere, uh, along with uh, like, ooh, be careful what you wish for. But um, 
I'm 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 so excited. I, I uh, have a have a new love for wrestling all over again. Um, there's so much uh, opportunity out there right now that I'm seeing um, from the the little time that I've been in it. So it it, it looks good. I'm uh, I'm uh, quietly shitting my pants, but at the same time, very excited. <laughs> Well, that's always, I guess I could say that's a good thing because you don't know what to expect, but the coolest thing I think I've seen with guys like yourself, guys like Cody Rhodes, guys like Ryback, uh, Sandow, when you guys, the the guys that the fans were clamoring for something to be happening with, when you guys leave and hit the independent scene, the buzz that comes out of the events that you start to work and the fan fest that you go to and the conventions – I, as a fan, love to see it. I know John probably feels the same way, but do you feel that energy from the fans that were dying to get you in that one-on-one situation? Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, I really did my first uh, weekend this last weekend, so I got my, you know, my icebreaker, so to speak. And, man, I I did a signing and a meet-and-greet at every show, and the energy was very positive, very excited. you know, you mentioned the spotlight earlier, and it, it is about the spotlight because that's where the money's at, but it's also about uh, just being free to create, uh, so to speak, and uh, I'm, I'm really excited about that, and the energy is just really something. Um, so, so far, so good, but that's, we got lots of weekends to go. Oh, yeah, tons of weekends, and the calendar is filling up for you. I know that. If you follow you on social media or you follow any of the organizations that are bringing you in, it's very cool to see, you know, the the very uh, innovative graphics that people are coming up with, the different kinds of uh, names of the shows and stuff. It's uh, it's very cool to see, and the reason I say Spotlight is because, and John and I were trying to work this in somehow, we attended a Monday Night Raw in 2000. I want to say it was 2014 or 2015. You were with Cesaro at the time. And I say spotlight because you, Cesaro, and Dirty Dutch, you guys were probably the second or maybe even the top most overact on the show. And I say spotlight because fans like myself, fans like John, we're dying for you to step out and have that spotlight. So I guess as you venture out now into your first couple of weekends, what do you expect from these shows? Not just the meet and greets, but the actual shows with the wrestling side of it. <clears throat> well, I I, uh, I expect to learn a lot. Um, I was very lucky. I uh, I signed with the company um, right out of college. So the, for my entire pro- professional wrestling career, this is the only style of wrestling I know. Um, I feel like I have it under grasp and um, – I'm uh, and I'm ready to learn more. And in order to do that, you have to do something that you've never done before. Um, so, like, I'm I'm expecting to have all different types of crowds, all different types of styles thrown at me, and I want to adapt to them and see where naturally, like, my wrestling style like goes to. So, I'm I'm very excited about that because this is going to be a journey. And um, there's going to be ups and downs with it, just like there was with the company. But like um, the reward from what I see is uh, f- far outweighs the risk. So uh, uh, that's the main thing. Uh, Jack Swagger is going to wrestle everywhere, and he's going to learn every style. And you know, by the time you see Jack, you know, hopefully he's going to be transformed. He's going to be someone that you know that you that you know and love that has gotten even better.
That's uh, that is so cool. And I guess uh, you know when we see some of the places that you've signed to be with so far. If somebody was in the WWE so long and seen that now they're starting to really cater to the independent talent that they want to bring in, when it goes the reverse way and you head uh-huh. out to the independents, were there any places that you kind of started to get in contact with after you, uh, you left that were really like top uh, goals for you to attend to? Were there any promotions that were on the, your, you know, your list for the places you wanted to hit first? Uh, like I said, it, it's gonna, it's a, it's a big learning experience for me. So I'm, uh, still getting uh, a grasp on, on, on this side of professional wrestling. Um, uh, everywhere I go, I, I ask the wrestlers, where do you want me to wrestle and who do you want me to wrestle? And so like slowly, uh, I'm making a list of the places that we're going to do and, and cross off. Yeah, we can't, uh, we can't wait to see that, but I guess we can kind of work backwards and that was your departing from WWE. And I don't like to really harp on the negative stuff. We're not looking for dirt. We're not looking for the, uh, you know, for the craziness. But the way you left was kind of interesting. And I think uh, a lot of people are kind of dying to find out the story because you did a little thing with Chael Sonnen on his show. Uh, and then it was a few weeks before the actual uh, separation between you and WWE. So kind of how did that all come about? And uh, what was, like, the story behind the actual um, I guess the interview and then the time in between from when you did leave. Uh, I mean, the main thing was, is my contract wasn't up until January of 18. Um, they picked up an option, which they only had the option for. I didn't have, a, a, uh, you know, any control over it. So they picked it up, extended it for another year, um, which it was, the timing of when they did that was right when they like took Dutch away from me and put with Alberto. So it was a uh, kind of like a twofold punch in the face. And, you know, uh, so uh, about six months after that, I was like, okay, I need to re- renegotiate. And then they did the, the brand split again and moved me back to SmackDown. So, it was looking like okay, we're gonna we're gonna be able to do something, and uh, for whatever reason, uh, they didn't like me over there. Uh, so I was like, okay, well, let's push uh, the contract negotiations. Um, pretty much, they were telling me that I deserved a raise, and they wanted to sign me for another five years um, into into my forties, and. Uh, what they were offering and what I had averaged over the decade that I had worked for them was way off. And so after 10 years with the company, personally, I needed a change, like I said earlier, to journey out and really become the best professional wrestler I can. But also uh, I needed a change uh, to make them miss me, make them want me back, uh, it's uh, it's kind of a strange thing. It's kind of like relationships. You know, the one that carries the least has the most power. Um, so I needed to make them want me. And, and the main thing is, is like, uh, they were not growing my brand anymore. Bottom line, they had stopped growing my brand. And so when that happens, you know, you can get angry about it. But it's all, it's all business and it's all dollars. And, you know, I was angry for a long time. But once this all came down... And I looked at it as a business decision. I understood their side, and I understood my side. 
we left on good terms. It's just something that we had to do. And uh, I look forward to getting out there and really showing everyone, you know, all of the Jack Swagger brand, not just what they wanted to show you guys. No, that's uh, that's very exciting, and that was very well said because uh, I think we all watched you grow over that 10 years. And to be honest, it's kind of hard to believe that it was 10 years because it really was a it was a good 10 years, and we watched you grow uh, through the ECW brand, obviously for what you were able to do and get up to a main event spot at WrestleMania and then kind of back down. But, you know, the whole thing with Dutch, and I know John's going to get into it a lot, you know, the, the association with Dutch, uh, I just really think that was such a very cool and uh, different facet for your, uh, you know, for your career. And obviously, I'm sure with you and Dutch, you guys probably, you know, clicked right away because Dutch is an old school guy. You're obviously uh, pretty well versed uh, in, in the world of wrestling, to say the least. But I guess, do you feel that was the absolute tipping point where you felt maybe your legs were cut out when they just they took Dutch and for whatever reason they put him with uh, Del Rio for that one summer? Um. It, it it wasn't the tipping point. It was just another thing added on to a very long list of the same of the same thing of where it's very, very hard to get momentum going and it's even harder for it to be natural like we the people have become. We the people was transforming into a whole different climate. It was no longer um a political movement. It was simply a movement for the people. And it was not more evident when I went out of the country where I went to Mexico and these were the very people that we spoke of so harshly and they would stand up and say, we're the people. And so it was such a cool movement and it transformed uh, so naturally. And they, they tried to cut it off at so many levels and it just kept coming back. I mean, uh, they they took Cesaro away from the real Americans. They try to cut off we the people. No, we turn babyface. We wrestle a Russian. We have one of the biggest matchups of the year. One of my favorite matches of my career against Rusev. Turn babyface instantly overnight. That's we the people. That's how awesome it was. It was natural. And then after that. You know, nothing. Cut the legs out from it again. So, like, I'm not complaining. I'm very grateful for the 10-year career that I had. Uh, you know, that's way above average. Uh, I consider myself to be way above average. But, uh, you know, it's just another thing. Um, you know, it's not my company. I don't make the business decisions. Uh, one thing that Dutch always said about these types of things that – I always took to heart. It's like either you can do it or you can go start your own uh, wrestling promotion. <laughs> so, <laughs> you know, it, you know, when you put it like that, it kind of puts it in perspective. But, uh, you know, it's just one of those things uh, where they saw they saw it differently than we saw it, and then the fans saw it, which is okay. It's still there. It's still strong as ever. Well, we'll run with it, and we're not going anywhere. And one of the things that really stuck out with you and Dutch in particular was, you know, just the great chemistry right off the bat. But then when it got political, it got over mainstream. Glenn Beck, I remember he was even commenting on you guys. What was that kind of like whirlwind like? Because that's a real strange thing to have happen. Yeah, yeah, it was very exciting. Um, definitely, you know, very cool. We somewhat expected it, like it was going to be – 
it was going to be out there, but not to the extent to which it did. Um, the biggest, one of my biggest accomplishments in my career, I would say, was that video that Dutch and I did after uh, Glenn Beck started crying on TV, on radio or on his show, and we and we and we did a thing where we shot a wrestling promo uh, on the green screen, and then halfway through the promo, we turned off the green screen effects, and we you know talked to Glenn directly. You know, we broke kayfabe a little bit and revealed the curtain, but um, I thought that was very cool that, like, at this point, professional wrestling was able to cross over to mainstream and and affect uh, political audiences like we did. I mean, the, the Tea Party has its own problems, so don't even get me started, but <laughs> uh, the... <laughs> The fact that me and Dutch got to add to their problems was a, definitely a bonus. We won't get too political, but that was very funny. And obviously him crying, getting emotional about, oh, I can't believe these guys in the WWE are making fun of the Tea Party and stuff like that. That was great. Was that kind of one of the most fun things you did while in WWE? Uh, yeah, it's definitely up there. I mean, anything with professional wrestling, anything that happens natural – uh, those are the best things because then they have like so much freedom to grow and become what they really are and let the, let the fans take control of them and, and really evolve. Uh, that, it, it was so much fun. Um, still to this day, tagging with Dutch and uh, Cesaro. Uh, I mean, that group, oof, we could have done so much. We were just taken off and it, like everything we did, uh, one of our favorite memories that we joke about is uh, when Dutch was in the wheelchair and Tony and I were wheeling him down and we were fighting each other. We're like we had one hand on one, one grip and the other guy had the other grip on the wheelchair. And then we were fighting so much on the ramp. We let him go and he starts going wild down the ramp and Dutch does one of his classic faces. And uh, we had, we, we laughed so much about that. <laughs> The real Americans, they were great. And like you said, it was natural. It was organic. You guys got over. Were you surprised at the chemistry that you and Cesaro had? Uh, No. I mean, I I have good chemistry. Cesaro has great chemistry with anybody he works with. Um, I still remember the first conversation that him and I had because we knew each other. Uh, It's funny. Like, when we – he was on a tryout with Deep South back in 06 when I was on my tryout. And we kind of met each other then, but not really. And then all these years later, it came out to be that we were a good tag team together. So it was, it was very cool. Uh, but no, I wasn't surprised. Uh, Tony, man, he is amazing. He's one of the best wrestlers they have. He can do everything and just a great person. So like, from the very first conversation I had with him, I knew, okay, he, he gets it. He's working for the team. Uh, he wants everyone to, to do better. And when you work with people like that in this business, you guys, you really can do anything because you're working for the same thing. And once everyone's on the same page, it's, it's so much easier. And then when you add someone like Cesaro, someone like Dutch with it, it's, you know, sky's the limit. Can't speak highly enough about both of those two. Dutch, one of the greatest minds in the history of the business. Obviously, he was a great worker back in his day, too, but what a, what a mind. 
Did you learn a lot just from him, just from kind of traveling the roads from him and picking his brain? Yeah, it was um, one of the biggest honors of my career uh, for me to drive him for two years and to listen to him complain about my driving for two years. <laughs> but it, 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 it was such a blessing, um, you know, such an honor to listen to this guy. I remember uh, the first show we did when we were together. <laughs> and if you know Dutch, you're going to believe this. Um, we, we wrestled our match. We were like right before intermission and, uh, take had come by. So we were talking with him and then we're, uh, I was watching the rest of the matches and Dutch was ready to go and get on the road. And I was like, well, they kind of, they kind of want us to stay here and watch all the matches out of respect. And, and Dutch said, respect. Well, like, don't you want to learn? I was like, yeah, well, I wanted to learn and watch the matches. He said, you can learn more from me riding in the car in 30 minutes than you will for two hours of, of this show. I promise you. And so after that, <laughs> we got, we got done wrestling. We got in the car and, uh, that's just the way it was. And like Dutch isn't a, a cocky person, um, but he knows what he's talking about. And so after that, uh, I laughed and I, and I, I never doubted him. That is awesome. That's unbelievable. And I can just picture, uh, you know, in that classic Dutch voice and telling you, you know, let's get in the car and, you know, let's, uh, you know, and then he can <laughs> drive a little bit. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. With Dutch, what do you think is like the best piece of advice that he gave you? You know, obviously, you know, to listen to him, but what do you think when looking back, what do you think is the best piece of advice? Oh, what a great question. Um, there, There's so much that like he gives without most people even picking up on it. Uh, one of the biggest things for me was um, uh, if you watch my, if you watch my career, I'm, you know, I'm six, four, 270 pounds, but I, I, I move very well. So I, I, I like to wrestle almost like a smaller guy than I am. So um, when he came aboard, you know, he saw that right away and uh, he always worked with me on protecting my size and protecting myself, which is important, um, you know, in this business because you could do some, so much more when you work the size that you are. And so he really helped me uh, with that side of things. Um, but also on a, on a personal level, just as a friend, I would almost say that his advice was more, uh, was even more valuable on that side of things, just because he, he's, he's so endearing, he's so caring, and he's been through so much that he just knows and understands so many situations. So like having him as a friend was just as good as having him as a, as a teacher. Dirty Dutch, huge, huge legend. Who kind of comes up? Is it you and Dutch together? Is it the creative team? But who comes up with We the People, the hand over the heart, that awesome T-shirt with the hand over the heart? Who kind of comes up with that? Um, well, I, I designed uh, the T-shirt, and I was trying to sell it to WWE for the longest time, but they wouldn't. They weren't on it. So I said, fine, I'm, I got it made myself, and then I wore it on the Money and Bank pay-per-view. And literally, as soon as I came back through the curtain, 
the entire merchandise department was there waiting for me. I guess the headquarters had called them and were like, what's going on? Da, 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 da. They wanted the shirt made. So uh, that's how that came about, which is kind of cool and good advice for anyone listening who is in there. It's like, go ahead and make, your, make the shirt that you want made and wear it on TV and they'll, they will want it. But um, the We the People is such a cool story. I mean, and we talked about how natural is better in this business earlier. Uh, we just so happened to be in Nashville where Dutch lived a couple weeks after uh, the Elimination Chamber where I, where I beat Randy to go to WrestleMania and Wrestle Alberto. Um, they were looking for people for a mouthpiece for me. They say I can't talk. I think I'm doing just fine. But anyways, uh, we just so happened to be in Nashville. They brought uh, Dutch in. I think it was uh, Hunter's idea to bring Dutch in. And uh, they were going to have him do a couple of promos on video and then play it for Vince um, later in the day. And uh, he did one or two, and then, like, on the third one, uh, he he threw in We the People at the end. And everybody in the room, when he said that, like, it, to close it, it was just like, wow, that's so cool. Like, it, it, like, fits perfect. And, like, everyone had heard of We the People. It's on the doll, you know, it's on, you know, it's everywhere. But, like, it was kind of new at that time, even though now it's everywhere. But when they, when he said it, it was just one of those moment, uh, moments where like you got goosebumps and you're like, yep, that's right. And so it was just something that Dutch and his brilliant mind and, uh, you know, had just like thrown in there and he didn't say it in the first two promos. And then he said it in the third one. And then we didn't record anymore. And when Vince watched it, he said, that's my guy. And so, I mean, you can add We the People to the long list of uh, brilliant things that Dutch has uh, Dutch has come up with. Such a great catchphrase. And like uh, Chad said before, we were at uh, the Raw right before Mania one year, and We the People, when you guys weren't even going to push, We the People got the biggest reaction, the biggest pop. It was just, it's just kind of a natural thing. It's like, well, it's We the People. It's, it gets you kind of, like you said, almost like a goosebump thing. It kind of gets you into it. Yeah, it, it's it's very powerful, and uh, and it's such a you know, sure, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? So much turmoil in our culture these days, political unrest and whatnot, and so it's definitely like you know that people movement is already out there, and then this just gives it a voice almost on some levels. You know, it definitely needs a bigger voice on all levels, but. It's cool to be a part of that, and I'm very honored because when I go to other countries uh, and they stand up and say it, man, I, I consider it a great honor and uh, very proud of it. It's pretty great, and at that point with Dutch, obviously, you know, WrestleMania 29, you're part of the main event scene versus Del Rio, but what's interesting is recently you wrestled uh, Del Rio down in Mexico as well, so What's kind of your, you know, your feeling on Alberto? Did, you know, did you like him then? Did you have good chemistry with him? And what do you think about his match now? Um, so I don't know how many people have been able to do this, but when Alberto 
and I locked up at WrestleMania 29 in New York. That was the very first time we had ever wrestled against each other. So the chemistry was beyond amazing. Um, I think he's a phenomenal performer uh, in the ring. We, we, we just clicked. We got it. We would beat the hell out of each other. Um, and then everything, you know, and just have great matches. I, uh, I mean, as you can see by my recent matches with him, uh, you know, I, I, I always enjoyed wrestling him and, uh, uh, you know, what we were doing back in 2013, it's funny, it's 2017 and, it still plays and it still plays and maybe even be stronger now, you know? So why, why uh, stop it if it ain't broke? That's right. And especially uh, down in Mexico, were you, you know, were you hated down there? Was it kind of the the good old days? (laughs) Uh, Well, I got out of there without getting stabbed or getting uh, beer thrown on me. So maybe I need to do a little bit better job of getting some heat, but, uh, yeah, it it was fun. Um we did a couple singles matches and uh some uh some tag matches. Um I, I, I sang the national anthem every night to their dismay and uh we started it off. <laughs> <laughs> that is great. And obviously, you know, the few with Del Rio kind of and, and obviously with Zeb put you on the map. But when they kind of, you know, were like you said, we're killing the momentum, they put Zeb with you, then you know, you lose to Del Rio, and then they you kind of slowly lose in momentum. You had an I quit match against Del Rio, you lose it. They put the Real Americans together. You know, they kind of killed you. When they started the feud with Cesaro, did you kind of think like, oh, maybe they'll kind of kick up the momentum a bit and, and make this feud into something, you know, worthwhile? No, no, I didn't. They were very clear um, at the beginning of it, which I, I don't get it. They didn't want to keep us together. Um, so they wanted to break us apart, but they wanted to break us apart, but they didn't want us to feud. Uh, only in the, uh, I would say only in the WWE does this happen. It was, um, it was very weird. Uh, of course, Cesaro was like at that point, man, he was so hot. The swing was coming out. Uh, I mean, everything he did was just amazing. He had like a 30-minute match with uh, Cena uh, around that time, and it was like just tore it down. Um, So you can blame Cesaro for uh, tearing the real Americans apart. He got too good, you know, and so, (laughs) yeah. No, but they were were very clear when 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 they were separating us, so... They wanted they they didn't want a feud. You know, it's interesting. After that, with as far as you know, as you're you're concerned, kind of going your your own direction, you turn face and you start that feud with Rusev and Lana, and the crowd is nuts for you. I mean, it was. I don't think that the WWE expected that kind of reaction. Did you kind of get that same kind of general vibe? Uh, you know what, like. I knew it was going to be good, but I didn't know it was going to be that big. And it's funny. We kind of got wind of what was going to happen about a month ahead of time. And um, Dutch and I were talking about it and we're like, we were like, man, this could be good. And like, we expected like 
to have a very good reaction from it and expect it to be very natural. But I don't know if anybody, like, expected it to turn out the way it did. And just it was just so electric, and it immediately grabbed, you know, it grabbed everybody. You know, it just grabbed you. And it was a very polarizing, and I'm very honored to be a part of that storyline, one of the greatest in my career. Um, but yeah, I don't think they, I don't think they expected it to be that big. Cause not only were you guys having like the best matches in the card, it's pretty much the best feud. And I don't know if they knew kind of what they were getting into, because it's one of those things that's like, you know, sometimes they, they don't invest that much in some of the storylines. So you're like, Oh, you know, let's see what we get here. And the crowd was loving it. So it was almost like, Wow, they they surprised themselves and they put it in, in like an off angle together, kind of. Uh, I almost want to say almost without even trying. They just kind of put an awesome angle together with you and Rusev. Yeah, yeah. I mean, Rusev and Lana, uh, man, they're great heels, great tough guys. Uh, you just want to stare at Lana and punch her in the face at the same time, if I can say that. <laughs> but. Uh, Dude, it it was so cool, and once again, it was just natural. Good versus evil, USA versus Russia, which, you know, <laughs> maybe I should tag with uh, old Trump, and Rusev should get Putin, and we put them in the ring, and we can figure this thing out. But um, <laughs> no, it, it it was very cool, and it was just like, uh, I mean, I don't know. Um, many baby faces that like I was so lucky, very lucky. And I'm not tooting my own horn here, but because it was so electric and it just grabbed people by the hearts, I was able to turn baby face overnight and really stay that way without much help from the company after that. You know, we, the people just became a good thing all of a sudden. And, uh, uh, man, I, I wish we could have done more. We were we were begging them to do a, a third pay per view, but it it happened. But way down the line, you know, under di- different circumstances. Yeah, it almost felt like they kind of cut the feud while it was still hot. It, it it almost didn't make sense. Like they they kind of just pulled the feud out of nowhere, right? I mean, it just felt like it just dropped. Yeah, yeah, and like. I'm not the type of person um, you don't achieve anything in this life. If you go through blaming other people for stuff that you didn't achieve. Um, but definitely after that, it, you know, it definitely made you wonder like what's going on. Is this personal, you know, or is it just business and you want to make sure Rusev is, you know, the, the, the dragon that you're building. I don't know. The only people you can ask that are people who run the company. Um, definitely could have been more, though, for sure. Definitely. I mean, it was it was one of the best feuds probably of that year. I mean, it was just awesome. The crowd was so into it, and it was just perfect. You know, USA versus Russia, like you said. And then they end up, you know, doing the whole draft thing, and you get drafted to Raw. And it was an interesting thing because – Chinder Mahal, who basically was, you know, nothing at that point. He he just returned from basically the independent scene. He comes and you lose to him, and it's, like, kind of surprising. 
Did you see Jinder Mahal at that point, kind of where he is now? Like, did you ever see him becoming the world champ? Well, Jinder is an amazing performer. Uh, he's a very tall guy, great look, um, and he's a he's a business person. So, like, I could definitely see uh, him achieving this for sure. He, he has all the tools. Uh, I think I was as surprised as anyone, though, which is, you know, one of the good things about pro wrestling is, like, you really never know what's going to happen. Um, but, you know, I, I could definitely understand, uh, you know, I, I think I know why they did it. Uh, gender's amazing, but also India is a very big market. So it's like two birds with one stone. You're right. You get a good heel. You know, you get somebody that's going to be over as a heel, and then you get to kind of tap into this new market, which, you know, TNA and ROH and everyone else seems to be tapping into. Jinder, at that point, you didn't think, you know, he was going to be anything. But looking, you know, looking back, you said, you know, he's got the look, he's got this. Did you kind of, you know, think that he would not be, you know, not so much you're surprised he was a world champ, but were you surprised that he kind of moved up the ladder that quickly? No, no, I'm not. Um, I'm, I, 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 maybe I'm, uh, I'm, I'm jaded, but I, I really don't get surprised by, uh, much these days when it comes to WWE or professional wrestling, uh, because that's like, that's the beauty of it. Like overnight you could become someone, you know? And so the, the trick is stay consistent, stay performing well, and, uh, you know, stay ready because it, it could happen at any second. Now, with you, obviously, you know, you moved to SmackDown, Baron Corbin, and, of, co- of course, you know, you win and you lose, and like we talked about before with the release. But what was interesting is when you got on the independent seat, and like you said, you kind of are, you know, you're putting the toes in, you're seeing, you know, how it feels, and you wrestled Michael Elgin um, last week, and uh, who's obviously a New Japan Pro Wrestling star. Have you had a chance to check out New Japan Pro Wrestling? Because to me, a guy like you that can work and move and, and is a big guy, New Japan seems like it might be a perfect fit for you. Oh yeah, I've been I've been watching New Japan uh for a while. I'm I'm good friends with uh A Train, um uh Lord Tenzai and so uh um uh, I started watching Japanese wrestling back in 06. Uh MVP uh is a good friend of mine and he was at deep South with me and uh, he started showing me all the different avenues, you know, back in 06, um, I'd only been to a show. I'd never seen a, like a professional wrestling ring or a practice in person. So, uh, you know, brand new to the business. So he, he really opened my eyes to it. And once I went over there and wrestled at the uh, Budokan and Tokyo Dome, well, I haven't wrestled at Tokyo Dome, but uh places in Tokyo it's just like yes I I need to do this it's gonna happen if I have to uh move there for a year uh, definitely want to go over there and and uh uh wrestle (laughs) definitely as far as wrestling you know it's the pro wrestling and over there you know the strong style is stiff style but your background is not only wrestling but obviously, you know, your your background's WWE, but the, the athleticism, the size, everything, 
I just think you'd be kind of a perfect fit over there. Has there kind of been any feelers out there besides you saying, you know, you want to go there? Has there been any kind of movement? Uh, no, no. I've been talking with uh, ROH and their partners with uh, New Japan. Um, so maybe that avenue will open up. Um, but as of now, uh, no, no feelers yet. It seems like uh, the world's going to be your oyster. But just with all this talk with pro wrestling, you just got to take a step back. And obviously your well-accomplished amateur background, University of Oklahoma, and we've heard the stories from what WWE's been able to tell us. But if you can, just kind of direct us on how you got to pro wrestling because, we've, you know, we know your association with Danny Hodge. We know your association with Jim Ross, you know, kind of being the catalyst for you getting to WWE. But how did you go from being such an accomplished amateur wrestler to then jumping to the, as we could say, the wacky, crazy world of pro wrestling? <laughs> um. Well, I, I graduated college in, in 06, and my uh, my last semester was like January 06, and I gr- was graduating in May. I started interviewing for jobs in my industry of my degree, which was finance, and I interviewed for – I interviewed from January and all the way until May, so a good four or five months. And at that time, you guys know what was about to happen in 06, so thank God I didn't go into the financial industry uh, right out of college. Um, yeah, so at that time, I wasn't very happy with my options. Um, I met those guys, uh, Jerry Briscoe, uh, JR. I met those guys at the beginning of my college career, and I stayed in touch with them. And they always said, if you want to try this out, finish your degree and uh, give us a call. And so, I kind of forgot about it for a little bit, you know, being a college athlete and college student, you got <laughs> different things on your mind, <laughs> hormones and whatnot. And uh, I, I went, ba- I, I went back to them in, in May and uh, I, I literally graduated on a Saturday from OU. The next day I was flying on a plane to Atlanta uh, to go try out for a week. And that was the end of May. And then by July, I was out there. So I hate to keep re uh, harping on the, this natural thing, broken record and all, but it, it felt very meant to be um, all my life. People had told me, like, oh, you're so tall. Why aren't you playing basketball? I'm like, well, I'm, not, I'm not a basketball player. I'm a wrestler. And so when this uh, opportunity came about, it felt very destined, very meant to be like, okay, this is why I'm a tall wrestler type deal, which sounds very cheesy, but I'm a cheesy guy, so I'm going to say it. Um, and then and then after that, like like I said, I had never, I'd been to one show, and I had never really seen a pro wrestling ring up close in person. Um, it was a lot of two-a-days and whatnot, but like I, I, I took to the technique very quickly because of the amateur background. Uh, the entertainment side was really where I had to focus on, develop a character, learn how to speak, you know, learn how to promote yourself, uh, learn how to be larger than life, all that, learn when not type deal. And so uh, I spent two and a half years in developmental across three different developmental promo- uh, promotions uh, to really be ready and um, uh, and then – 
that led me to FCW. They made me their first uh, Florida heavyweight champion ever. I held it. I've held it. I'm the longest holding Florida heavyweight champion. I held it for eight or nine months, I think. And, uh, uh, and then after that, it was, it was time to go up. Um, so it's quite, quite the journey. It's it's quite the journey to say the least, but I think one of the things that you just kind of glanced over is, and I probably should emphasize this a little more, you went from being an amateur wrestler in college and applying for jobs to going to Deep South Wrestling in Atlanta, Georgia, and that had to be some some sort of culture shock to say the least. So what are some of your first impressions of Deep South? <laughs> um uh my first impression of deep south uh you know it was uh bill demott uh which i'm a demott guy say what you want about him um i will i will i will stand up for the guy he's a great guy and helped me very much uh my first impressions uh i got, at that point i really didn't know what to expect so my impressions were just like okay this is it let's uh let's go for it and they had an opportunity to train twice a day. And I was like, great, this is exactly what I needed. And so I trained, I did two a days for almost six months straight uh, with Bill DeMott, who everyone says is, you know, one of the most crazy trainers out there. But uh, like him and I fit perfectly together is what I was used to. Uh, just get in there and do work and, and shut up. And so like, Deep South, in a way, was a blessing for me because they didn't run a lot of shows at the time. So uh, it was really just practice, which at that point I needed. So I did that for six months, and then I was fortunate enough that the WWE transferred me to OVW, who was running four to five shows a week. So I went from six months of practice to another six months of running four to five shows a week. And and again, that was just what I needed. Like after I got like the technique and I kind of understood what I was doing to where I wouldn't hurt anybody much, <laughs> uh, you know, I was ready to go to the shows and, and learn uh, the live crowd because you got to learn the technique. You got to learn the entertainment side of it. And then maybe the most important factor is you have to learn the live crowd. And you really can only do that in front of like WWE style big crowd so you can hear the 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 reaction and you actually learn what it is um so that that was a whole nother side of it and once you start wrestling in front of crowds it's a journey and you'll go through stages where the light isn't on you're like what's going on and then all of a sudden the light bulb pops and you're like oh i get it and then you you go up and and you grow and so it was it was, it was a fun transition to go to that and then Six months of that, went to FCW, and I was there for a year where they were doing more shows and practice, and so it was like a fine-tuning. And then they added Steve Kern, Dr. Don Pritchard, Dusty Rhodes, Norman Smiley. I mean, like, I was so blessed. Like, here, here I am who doesn't know – his ass from his elbow when it comes to pro wrestling, a year in the biz, and you put five Hall of Famers around me to help me grow, dude, I, I was eating it up. It, it, it was awesome. 
But you know what? I think that you should really switch to the nickname as the natural because with your ability and what you did in the ring, to have these guys behind you, like you just named five guys right there, then the training with Bill DeMott at Deep South, and obviously, you know, with Briscoe and, and JR keeping an eye on you in college, you know, you were destined to be in a, in a great class and uh, really had the backing of some great people, but FCW. Uh, we just had the chance to talk to Steve Kern about just FCW, really, for about an hour. To hear what he wanted to do with FCW was unbelievable, and to see what became of WWE developmental down the road, it's really kind of crazy. But talk about it if you can, just uh, learning under that tree with Dusty and Steve Kern and the crew down there, because obviously Dusty it speaks for himself, but Steve Kern as well. You know, he's uh, basically a, a legend down there in the state of Florida, and uh, really had a vision for what FCW was supposed to be. Oh man, I I, I can't say enough. Um, about Steve Kern, Dr. Tom Pritchard, uh, Dusty, and Norman Smiley. Uh, you know, Bill DeMott, um, uh, Danny Davis, uh, Al Snow. Those guys are the, are the original ones who broke me into the business. Um, Steve, Doc, Dusty, and Norman really believed in me and had a and had a vision for me and it, it it was a natural fit. We're all like minded. Uh I don't I don't feel like uh Skinner uh gets enough credit for uh for what he did with F C W. Uh I mean it was pretty much the building block for the million or billion dollar brand that is NXT now. Showed him what it could be and what it could do. Um Great guy. If you ever need anything, he'll help you with anything. Uh, and he's just one of those guys that he, he's not afraid to say what he really thinks because he, he, he knows it will help, and he wants to help. And he doesn't care if what he says is going to affect what you think of him because he knows it's going to help. Um, uh, one of my best stories about Steve Kern is – me, you know, learning the biz, trying to understand what to do and all that. Uh, when I first got to FCW, I had these, like, black – they were pretty much biker shorts. I had them made. I, 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 for some reason, I couldn't do the trunks. I had to do the shorts. They're, they were god-awful ugly. He told me for weeks, he's like, Jake, get different gear. And I was like, yes, yeah, Steve, okay, I will, I will. <laughs> and I never did. And so finally, Steve uh, ran the camera at one of our shows, and I had a big match that night. And the next day, I was very excited to go in there and watch the tape. And uh, go and behold, Steve zoomed in on my crotch and my trunks or my gear the entire match. That's all you could see was <laughs> my gear moving around the camera. Everybody was laughing their ass off. I, I stood up and I said, "Okay, Steve, I'm I'm going right now." And I, I left practice and went to my seamstress <laughs> and got new stuff made. But you know, that's just kind of an example of how he likes to teach. He likes to have fun, but at the same time, like if you're not listening, he's going to point it out in a very public way. Um, it, it, still consider him a, a, a great friend. Just him, his family, his his son, his daughter. Uh, it, was, it was a great fit. Uh, Dr. Tom immediately took me under his wing. He saw uh, a green oaky 
Uh, and he's like, you know, him being a Texan, you know, we got heat already. <laughs> uh, funny story with, uh, with Doc, uh, on the first day I met him, he asked me who my favorite wrestler was. And of course I wanted to say Danny Hodge, but for whatever reason I didn't, I, I said Kevin Nash cause I'm a, I'm a big Wolfpack Mark, but <laughs> As soon as I said Kevin Nash, he said, get the fuck out of here. And, like, was literally wanting me to leave. You know, he was joking, of course. But uh, <laughs> if you know Doc, yeah, you'll, you'll believe that story, too. But uh, both those guys, I really had to thank Doc and, and Steve for everything because they were there at the beginning, and then Dusty and Norman came on. But, like, I mean – Doc was working our Ironman matches with us before FCW was even FCW. We had two rings set up next to a warehouse of Publix uh, canned beans with a couple box fans and rat traps sets up. And here, Dr. Tom Pritchard is in the ring with guys who don't even have the business of being in the ring with him, and he's working our Ironman matches. Like, his commitment was... Unreal, and uh, I think uh, WWE messed up when they let him go for sure. Oh, yeah, definitely. And even the story that uh, Steve told us about when he departed, you know, why he departed was interesting enough just because he didn't want to relocate to Orlando. But he was telling us that basically the goal they had for FCW, or at least what his goal was, was to get you guys as much ring time as possible. And it didn't matter if you guys were setting up in a flea market in front of 20 people or in a parking lot or this or that. He said a lot of people didn't realize at the time they were seeing a Jack Swagger or a Dolph Ziggler or a Ryback or something. They didn't know it because there wasn't WWE branding. You guys didn't have a name yet. So you were basically going out as Steve Kern's wrestlers. And he said his goal was to get you guys in front of as many people as possible. Did you guys feel that that is what – Steve Kern's goal was while you were doing those shows? Yeah. Um, Steve is one of those guys that you can just follow without question. Uh, he has that those traits to where he knows how to talk to, to a group and tell them, um, you know, what's best. And there was, it was unanimous amongst, uh, amongst the locker room that, this guy really wanted the best for us and was really trying to help us even when he was, you know, killing us in practice. You know, like we knew it was for the best for us. And so, I, I mean, I don't know one guy that went through that system that won't say that same thing about Steve. Yeah, he's the best. I mean, we had such a ball talking to him. And then obviously uh, the transition, he quit because – or he left. He let his contract run out because he didn't want to move to Orlando and the NXT uh, transition. But – you know, you kind of shake your head at the fact you guys in your developmental class, you kind of had to grit through some hard times, and now there's a performance center that uh, it's kind of an all-encompassing world of WWE, and it's a little bit different than what you guys went through uh, in the trenches, if you will. Yeah, yeah. And I don't even know if you could call what we went through the trenches because, like, I mean, you talk to people that broke into the business 20, 30 years ago, I think, you know, but, of course, that's different time age um you know it's, it's a gift and a curse too when you have such nice facilities like that uh they were working way more hours than we were working um 
but they had more tools to help them get up there. You know, it's uh, it's one of those things. Competition always makes people better, and so when you have the facilities and you have the tools like that, like competition is going to get higher, and you're going to really uh, perform. Now, as we start to wind it down a bit here, such an awesome career. I mean, obviously, there's so much more to it. I mean, you're still a young guy, and you're going to be going many places, doing many things. But looking back at your career, just, you know, so far, and obviously the 10-year run in WWE, do you have a favorite match or maybe a couple favorite matches that stick out more than the other ones? Um, I have to say that my match with uh, Christian – and 09 at Backlash is one of my favorites. Otherwise, uh, he'll call in right now and start cursing at me on your guys' show. So we don't want that. <laughs> um, yeah, Christian was definitely one of my favorite opponents. Uh, Tommy Dreamer, favorite opponent. Uh, Matt Hardy, I got very blessed in ECW working with great guys like that. Um, of course, we talked about Rusev. Um, I, I worked a lot with Evan Bourne, but we never really got any uh, pay-per-view time. He, he was one, one of my favorites uh, to wrestle. Um, I really liked uh, I really liked working with um, uh, what's the, what's his name uh, uh, Ko. We uh, we did like three matches on main events. And all of them were just, like, so easy, so natural chemistry, and we really tore it down, but it was on main events, so, you know, no one talked about it. Uh, he he was a lot of fun. Um, of course, Alberto at WrestleMania with uh, President Trump ringside <laughs> will be, will be uh, one of mine. Um, and then uh, I can't forget this, uh, the tag match at uh, New Orleans, uh, the elimination tag on the pre-show at uh, WrestleMania 30 uh, will be my one of my favorite matches ever. It's going to be hard to beat that. Uh, one, just because I'm such good friends with the Usos. Um, but that moment when it was just uh, the real Americans and the Usos left, and we kind of stood up, you know, shook the dust off our bodies, and we looked at each other in the eyes, and then they gave their war cry. We gave our war cry. And then, like, the stadium just erupted. And it, it was a magical moment. Uh, I, I will always consider that one of my favorite matches. And then I will always remember the next day when they said, oh, let's break the real Americans apart. <laughs> <laughs> Definitely makes no sense. And looking back, you know, at your run there, when you beat Jericho for the world title, um, obviously, you know, there was a, you know, you had a, a crazy uh, guy in Bunkhouse Buck playing your father there for a bit, which was pretty funny in itself. But beating Jericho for the world title was that kind of the high point when you were there? Of course, uh, of course. I, I I can't believe I didn't mention that. I mean, being a world champion—that's something that you know you can say whatever you want about me, but you'll never be able to take that away from me. It's one of the greatest honors of my life, whether it's scripted or not. Um, Beating Chris uh, for the title only made it that much better. I wish we could have went on and and worked an angle against each other. Um, There was a time there uh, when We the People was just starting, and uh, Vince had had us wrestle like 
like we we went live on Monday Night Raw, and then we then we wrestled on SmackDown the following day, and then uh, he wanted us again for the following Raw, but then it got changed. So, like, man, he's one he's one of the, the like you talk about another great mind and who just gets it. I mean, look what he's doing with with just saying uh, you're gonna get it. You know, that's so funny. It's so entertaining. Uh, and the list, you just made the list. I mean, uh, that guy uh, is amazing. Uh, our kids, I'm proud to say our kids go to the same school. <laughs> oh, wow. <laughs> that is but, great. Yeah. And I got to mention this because you, you had a couple of years with Randy Orton, and obviously, you know, his name is all over the place lately. As far as him kind of ripping some of the indie scene and some of the indie wrestlers, but what do you think about good old Randy Orton? You guys seem like you had some pretty good chemistry as well. Yeah, Randy, uh, Randy and I were always uh, were always good friends. Um, you know, some people don't like Randy. Um, I personally, I, I love him. I'll, I'll take a guy that tells me how he feels a hundred percent every time than someone who's going to sugarcoat it. It's just this day and age, I, I respect that. Um, and what people don't get about Randy and which I didn't understand is Randy is his father's son. He, he understands this business, uh, way more than a lot of people think that he does. And he looks at it from his father's eyes and the way he does things and when he thinks about things. So almost, you know, he's definitely, uh, an old soul, but, uh, he, you know, he grew up in this business. And so he has that perspective and he doesn't want 99 super kicks in a match, which I get. Um, but at the same time, you know, uh, you have to do what, you know, the market dictates. Social media is, is, is a fun thing to where, you know, you, you, you can say how you really feel and it's going to cause a stir about certain things and point a light on certain things. And, uh, you know, we all have a voice and that's what it's for. So to each its own, <laughs> uh, he just has a special touch for getting under, under people's skin. And I'm sorry, it, it's hilarious. Uh, I think, uh, someone tweeted that like, what if, uh, Randy did a dive on raw tonight, everyone's head would explode. Well, that that would have been hilarious, <laughs> you know. I think the uh, the line that goes underrated for that whole Twitter thing that he did was that he was going to go dive back into his thirteenth title reign, and I don't know why that really tickled me when uh, when I read that. That was <laughs> definite. That was that was an RKO out of nowhere from Randy. <laughs> yep. Yeah. 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 Uh, I think he definitely uh, silenced a lot of people with that, and then at the same time. He is right. There is a difference between a young, hungry up-and-comer uh, doing something incredibly athletic and then, you know, somebody falling for pop. I'm not saying whoever did that did that. I'm just kind of agreeing with what he said, kind of. Yeah, that's, uh, that's really well said. And before we get into the big uh, plug rooney here at the end, the question we like to end with with somebody like you is, uh, you know, with the, one of the old-timers, we go with what's your legacy in the business, but you have so much left and so much more to do that I guess the, the easy question would be, in five years, 
Where do you see yourself competing? Do you see yourself back with WWE? Do you see yourself in New Japan? Do you see yourself kind of being this whirlwind professional wrestler traveling everywhere, you know, competing for every promotion? But what's next for Jack Swagger? Uh, I just bought a lottery ticket, so I'm going to I'm gonna put a lot of uh, stock in that thing. Um, I'm going to hopefully that thing, but no, I'm kidding. Um, that's a great question. Thank you for answering. I'm sorry for joking. Uh, five years is a long time. I, um, I could say where I'm going to be in a year and I know I'm going to be in a better place than I was a year ago. Um, I'm a wrestler. So to take a word from, uh, Cody, I'm going to wrestle. Uh, there's so much opportunity out there right now and I wish I could talk about it more. Um, but I just can't. I promise you that Jack Swagger is not going anywhere. Um, there's a lot of things in the works. Uh, we're gonna we're gonna be crossing over um, to different mediums, to different sports, to different disciplines, and uh, I'm just gonna leave it at that. And so, to be where I'm at in five years, uh, hopefully. Uh, Hopefully all of the above. That's uh, that's awesome. We look forward to that. And, of course, as we wrap it up here, please share with the listeners of the two-man power trip just where they can find anything and everything in the world of Jack Swagger. To, uh, get the, to find the home of the, the official home of Jack Swagger, We the People merchandise, you go to lfrlife.com that's right lfr as in let's fucking rage life.com uh it'll be up very soon uh you will be able to find not only jack swagger merchandise but also merchandise of all of your favorite wrestlers and if you are a wrestler come to the website you can design your own lfr life uh Design to delivery. We do it all. We can uh, 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 design whatever merchandise you need. Find me on Twitter, Real Jack Swagger, Instagram, Real Jack Swagger. Uh, the newest addition to We the People is Miss Catalina, Miss Catalina Swagger. Follow her at Catalina Swagger on Twitter and Instagram. She will be uh, making her. Uh, they, well, she made her debut this last weekend at uh, AML in uh, North Carolina, and so she will be continuing uh, the Kimono Princess. Just call her that, hashtag Kimono Princess. <laughs> and uh, uh, I'll be doing lots of events in the U.K., um, big weekend coming up June 10th. I'll be at an MCW SFW uh, tier one in Brooklyn, as well as the legends fest uh, in uh, New Jersey on June 10th. Um, I really am trying to go anywhere and everywhere. So if there's some place or someone that you want me to wrestle, message me, let me know and I'll make it happen. That's uh, that's very cool, and uh, we will be seeing you at uh, Legends of the Ring next weekend. We will uh, we'll be in the house as well. But 
the way I'd love to say it now is uh, the people who I told to stand earlier in the show, if you've been standing the whole time, I don't know what the hell your problem is. But, Jack, this has been a ton of fun, and uh, appreciate you coming on tonight. And, obviously, all the best. The, uh, the world of wrestling is your oyster, and we hope all your dreams are fulfilled. <laughs> I just need to put my kids through private school, and I'll be fulfilled. Thanks for listening to the two-man power trip of wrestling, What the World is Downloading.